The 14th sign of the book of Acts, of the church of Acts, excuse me, is the sign of liberality. Everyone say liberality. Now before you get nervous, that doesn't mean that you're a liberal. Liberality means generosity. I know that I had a hard time getting Jerry to cooperate with me there for a moment. Everyone say liberality. Liberality is simply generosity. Listen out of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, as Paul talks about what liberality is. And he's going to describe a situation where the believers in the young church of Macedonia, which was in the heart of the Hellenistic or Greek philosophy, um, the, the, the former empire of the, of the Greeks, this church had been planted in Macedonia, and they were going through severe trials and hardships. Yet they had gathered together a tremendous offering to help the Jewish believers in Jerusalem who were under famine and to send relief to them. And so Paul's writing about that and he says, Now we want to let you know, brothers and sisters, of the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia, that during a severe, not before, not after, but during a severe ordeal of suffering, their abundant joy and the extreme poverty, their extreme poverty, have combined together to overflow in the wealth of their liberality. Paul sometimes could have an artful way of saying things. But he got the point across saying that their extreme poverty combined together with the great grace of God caused their liberality to overflow the wealth of their liberality. Well, in the original Greek language that this was written in, the word was used, the Greek word we translate into liberality. What it literally means from its original definition is, and this is interesting, it means singleness as opposed to doubleness. Single-mindedness as opposed to double-mindedness. To be single, i.e., Sincerity, without self-seeking. That's taken directly out of the definition. Singleness, sincerity, without self-seeking. Generosity, bountifulness. And could I say to you as we look at this, gener uh, this definition that double-mindedness kills generosity. Think about it. If you are double-minded about God's blessing in your life, you are going to be hesitant when it comes time to be generous. You'll want to give, but you'll be thinking, mm, I don't know, I got bills. You know, you start all the double-mindedness kills generosity. So in order for the sign, now all these signs, let me just also digress for a moment and remind you, while all of these signs may be, many of them anyway, like liberality, involve natural responses from us, they're all supernatural signs. Every one of these signs were given by the Holy Spirit. So we're talking about supernatural generosity, supernatural liberality. And the key to the supernatural element is freedom to be single-minded when it comes to giving. And so really what we're talking about is the fact that God knew that to birth a church of big givers he would have to baptize us in such treasure that we would absolutely abandon the fear of lack 
and we'd be raised up in the rising tide of his blessing and overflow in grace towards others. God knew I got to bless their socks off. I got to fill them with so much they're not going to worry about them lacking. When it comes time to give, they're going to be running and taking numbers and getting in line like at the deli counter. God knew this. God knew that there would be people like the Macedonians who were themselves in the middle of tremendous conflict and were suffering poverty, yet they went right to their bank accounts and drew out whatever it is they determined in their hearts to give to help the suffering believers in Jerusalem. How can people do that? Because that doesn't happen in the world. Yet the Bible says that all of them, and I'm going to read some scriptures, you're going to see, that all of them were under this sign of liberality. It was a supernatural sign. You know, you may once in a while find somebody who out of their poverty reaches in and gives a couple of bucks or that sort of thing. But we're talking about something way beyond that. So these people had literally abandoned their fear of lack. How did that happen? Not because Jesus convinced them he was going to bless them, but because he did bless them. They were so full when they got baptized in the Holy Ghost. They were so filled, they quit thinking fear and doubt and unbelief. They were so full, they said, man, we got everything we need. We have, we have not just the promises, we have the promiser. Amen. We are filled with the one who makes the promise. So, yeah, of course we're going to come together to give. Now, one thing I can tell you, I'm preaching to a church that literally, not only now, but for years, has lived under the sign of liberality. This is one church that absolutely knows what it means to live and to walk under the sign of liberality. You are a giving church, and I applaud you for that. You have a, a, a great faith that's manifest, that supernatural sign of liberality. I have had more people, including our people in Africa, Wilson in particular, who have said, I don't get it. How does this church produce such great works? How does this, this relatively small group of people produce all this church planting and provide for all these pastors to be trained and churches to be launched? They are absolutely astounded. And throughout the years, over and over, how God has blessed through you, it is the supernatural sign of liberality. Hallelujah. So receiving heaven's gift turns you into a big giver. If you want to be a big giver, that's the key right there, is receiving the gift of the Savior, Jesus Christ, because you're receiving the giver. Hallelujah. You're receiving the provider at that point. Now, in the world, in the world, people give, but they give to get. They give in anticipation of a payback. They think of it as an investment. They'll even do charity. But it is with this in view that somehow it's going to come back on them. So people give to get. They call it socialism. There's a whole political system that involves getting everybody to give and then distribution will be made, you know, to everybody and we'll have this wonderful egalitarian society. And so people in the world give to get. But that's not what's going on under the sign of liberality. Under the sign of liberality, we're not giving to get. We're giving because we've already gotten. 
Hallelujah. Am I telling the truth? Are we give, when you give, isn't it because in your heart you know you've already gotten? You might be believing God for something in your own life, a need in your own life, but you already know. I've got the provider. God's blessed me, man. Hallelujah. It's a done deal. Yeah, of course I'm going to give. I'm going to help. Hallelujah. In Acts chapter 2, verse 44 through 45, and it says, And all that believed, everyone say, that believed. And all that believed were together and had all things common, sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men as every man had need. We're going to break this down and take a look at what actually happened here, but I want you to bear in mind, a lot of people have lifted this verse and another one in the fourth chapter and combined them together and to try to teach that the, that the early Christian church was a church based on socialism, which is the forced taking of offerings and people from, uh, 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 offerings from all people so that you can meet everybody's need and make a giant pool. But that is absolutely not what was happening. This was the sign of liberality, not the sign of socialism. This wasn't something they all agreed on. This was something that the Holy Ghost stirred up within them. If you remember on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Ghost fell. The city was literally engorged with thousands and thousands of additional people who had come from all over the world for the annual ingathering of Pentecost. So there were thousands and thousands of people who lived in other places around the world that had made the pilgrimage to be in Jerusalem. So that Holy Ghost fell on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 people got saved. A couple days later, 5,000. And so thousands of people were within one week now members of the body of Christ. And the apostles were teaching and they were gathering every single day, meeting from house to house. Now, all of those thousands of people would have ordinarily, after that weekend, gone back home. So now they're staying around because their whole lives have been upended and changed. Jesus Christ has come in, saved them. They're not sure when they're going to go home. There's teaching going on and the church has been formed and so they're there probably for weeks or months. How are these people going to live? They've got jobs to go back to. They're staying there with their families. This is why everybody just automatically said, well, there's a need. We're going to meet the need. And they just started selling their properties and houses and whatever. And they did it voluntarily. This was not a program. This was an anointing. Amen. Somebody say amen. amen. Hallelujah. So liberality didn't come from a sense of obligation, didn't come from a doctrine of socialism, or don't ever let anybody tell you that stuff. That is false teaching, and it's flatly wrong. But it came from the filling and the overflow of the Holy Spirit that produced eagerness in their heart because they were overflowing with their need having been met, and so liberality just caused them to reach out naturally and help one another. Now, the scripture actually gives the answer right in the text. It says, it explains in the fourth chapter, and I'll go ahead and uh, read it to you. It says in chapter 4, 32 through 33, and the multitude of them, because now it wasn't just 120, it literally was a multitude of thousands of believers. And they're now a couple of weeks into this thing. And the Bible says, the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. 
What is that? What did I preach last week? The sign of unity. So the sign of liberality is a companion to the sign of unity. You see how important that sign of unity is. The sign of unity created an atmosphere where the sign of liberality could take place. Listen very carefully. They that believe the multitude were of one heart and one soul, neither said any of them that whatever things they possessed were their own, but they had all things common, and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. So the scripture explains what produced the spirit of liberality was great grace was upon all of them because the sign of unity had brought them in one accord. So there was great grace. And the word grace, who knows, can tell me real quick, the word grace in Hebrew, what does it mean? That's a great definition, unmerited favor. Um, and that's accurate. But in a, there's a one word, very simple, distill it down. It literally means gift. Grace means gift. They were so full of the gift that they, it turned them into givers. You see, that's what the gift of God does in your life. When, you re, when I meet Christians who say they've received the gift, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, but it's hard to get, you can't get anything out of them. And I'm not just talking about money. They just, they can't give you the time of day. They can't produce a smile for you. They won't go the second mile. They do just whatever it is that they need to do to get their own lives in order. And they don't have much left over for anybody else. Their schedule is their schedule. They run their life by their, they seldom deviate from anything. They seldom uh, disturb their plans, disturb their own principles. You know, these were people that were easily disturbed for the sake of others. Their agendas, their plans, their schedules, everything were, were held lightly. And when the time came to help others, man, they were right there ready to change and to step out and be that way. So when we meet believers who are deeply entrenched in their own organization, and they're seldom willing to break out of that to help others, it's hard to believe that there's great grace upon them. Because great grace or the gift turns you into a great giver. So when you see believers that aren't great givers, there's not much grace working in their life. Is the grace of God there? Yeah, but they're not allowing that grace to rise up and be prominent in their life. Somebody say amen if you know what I'm talking about. Now, the sign of liberality... A lot of people like to boast about their giving. They like to boast about what they do. They like to boast about how they've helped people or whatever it is. They find Christian ways of doing it, you know, ways that are not so rude, you know, as to say, well, let me tell you how much I gave. Instead, they find ways of just letting you know what they do. But the sign of liberality, remember, it's a supernatural thing that God's doing. It didn't start from the church and rise up. It started from heaven and came down. So the supernatural sign of liberality glorifies Jesus as the elevator of mankind. The sign of liberty says, look at these people who ordinarily would not have given one another the time of day. Now they are caring for one another like they would care for themselves. That is the sign of transformation. That's a sign that Jesus has 
has touched them. So the sign of liberality gives glory to Jesus, who raises his character up in people who ordinarily would not have allowed themselves to be lifted quite that high. Can you say amen? amen. The sign of liberality is not for people to boast. And of course, that was dramatically demonstrated with Ananias and Sapphira. You may remember in that fourth chapter of Acts, the Bible says that they had all things common among them, so forth and so on. And Ananias and Sapphira sold a piece of land that they had, but they kept part of what they sold back. How many of you remember the story? They kept a couple thousand bucks for themselves. And then they, kept, they brought the, the 22,000 that they had and they laid it at the apostles' feet and said, praise the Lord, we've sold our property. This is everything that we got. We just want to give. And, of course, they both dropped dead for lying to the Holy Spirit. But very important, Peter said, Peter said to them, you could have kept it all. God didn't command you to give $25,000. You decide to do it. You're not going to drop dead because you didn't give enough. You're going to drop dead because you tried to steal the glory of liberality for yourself rather than let it be for the glory of Jesus Christ. You want to give something? Give. You want to keep something and go get some new stuff for yourself? Go do it. You're free. See, this church was not, they weren't socialists. They weren't compelled by a law. They were led by love. Can you say amen? Isn't that awesome? Praise the Lord. It says in um, Acts 4, 34-35, Neither was there any among them that lacked. Now, I, again, I'm a stickler for words. I want you to note those two words together, among them. And I want you to say that with me. Among them. One more time, good and loud. Among them. Neither was there any among them that lacked. For as many as were possessors of lands, houses, sold them, brought the prices of the things that were sold, laid them down at the apostles' feet. Distribution was made to every man according as he had need. That phrase, among them, is one of the most important two words in this text. Because it lets us know the sign of liberality is not a social welfare program for unsaved poor people. There's nothing wrong with giving to unsaved poor people. In fact, we ought to be blessing our community. That's what CareFest that we did yesterday was all about. And from time to time, you're reaching in your wallet and helping people. You see unsaved people that are in need. There's nothing wrong with doing that. But unfortunately, we have taken the sign of liberality, and we have twisted it into a kind of law that the Bible never gave us that says wherever we are, we're responsible to make sure that all people have their needs met. And nowhere does the Bible say that the sign of liberality makes you or I or the church responsible to meet the needs of unsaved poor people. Now, should we do acts of kindness? Sure. Should we be gracious, help people? Sure. But the Bible says there was none that lacked among them. Not in the city. Among them. So I want you to understand, this was believers demonstrating the blood covenant that had made them one with each other. 
not running out to assist the poor. Do you understand what I'm saying? Nothing mobilizes a church like when someone gets up and preaches a condemning message saying, we need to do more for the poor, and everybody's hanging their head down and they're thinking, you're right, we don't do anything for the poor. Well, next Saturday we're going to do this for the poor, and everybody comes together and decides we're going to run out and find the poor, and we're going to do this for the poor. Now, I'm not trying to sound uncompassionate, because we should have compassion, but that's not what the Bible teaches. It's not fair to take a beautiful principle in God's Word, the sign of liberality, and twist it and pervert it into a condemning club that beat people over the head and make them feel like they're responsible to go out and find the poor and, and make sure they're not poor anymore. Because that is not what the Bible preaches. That's not what it teaches. And I wanted to make sure you knew that from here on out. It is a sign of the blood covenant. It says, among them, among them, there were none among them. That is the sign of believers who are practicing the blood covenant, the blood of Jesus, that makes them one with each other. That's why I said it's a companion sign to the sign of unity. 1 Corinthians 12.25 says that there should be no schism in the body, that the members should have the same care for one another. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? amen? So as members of the body of Christ, we recognize Jesus in each other and immediately find in each other an altar, an appropriate altar of sacrifice. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25 and 40, Truly I say to you, as much as you have done it to the least of one of these, my brothers, you have done it to me. Doesn't say as much as you've gone out and done it to sinners, you've done it to me. It says as much as you've done it to the least of my brothers. Jesus is the head of the body. The blood covenant saves those who have received the blood. Glory to God. In Galatians 6 and 10, Paul said, As you have opportunity, let us do good to all men, especially to them who are of the household of faith. Notice it says, as you have opportunity, do good to all men. But especially, it separates out those who are members of the body. We are obligated, without being legalistic about it, to put the body first. How's that? Sound good? Praise the Lord. All right, the next sign, which is the 15th sign of the church of Acts is the sign of praise. Everyone say praise. praise. Let me tell you, and, and if you're a note taker, you could write this down. This is significant. It's very simple. You could easily overlook it, but here it is. The sign of praise is the sign of connection with our victorious Savior. It is the sign of of connection, of communion with our victorious and triumphant Jesus. Hallelujah. Now, the sign of praise involves music, singing, dancing, acting out. You know, uh, um, prophets used to act things out. It's perfectly appropriate to act out, to dance, to shout, to sing. Uh, and so, 
the sign of praise involves those things. But the sign of praise is not an art form. And I've read more articles that talk about praise and worship as an art form, and they're completely, utterly wrong. Praise involves music, but it is not an art form. You see, an art form is a depiction of life. Art depicts life, sings about life, depicts life. Drawings and sculptings and music are all depictions taken from life, projecting life. Praise is not a depiction of life. Praise is a connection to life. The sign of praise is a sign of connection. Art is about life. Praise is life. Somebody say amen. Hallelujah. Am I getting through to anybody this morning? Are you getting what I'm saying to you about praise? You're not talking about what God's done. You're connecting with what God's done. When you praise Him, you're experiencing. You're not talking or singing about your experience. Uh, you're going to need a little help from the Apostle Paul. Nick's not going to get you there. Listen to Paul. Here we go. Ephesians 5, 18 to 19. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but... What comes next? Be filled. Everyone say it with me. Be filled. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking among yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord. What is the sign of praise? It is a sign by which filling takes place. It's not an art form. You're not singing about something God's done. You're being filled with what God's done. Praise is not songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. Praise is being filled. <laughs> I know you're not listening to me this morning. I know this is not getting through to you. I can't stand here and just beat this until it opens up, and I'm going to tell you one more time. Praise is not songs. It's not music. It's none of those things. That's art. True praise is not an art form. True praise is being filled. True praise occurs when it goes beyond expressing yourself and becomes being filled with His self. When you're focused on what he's done instead of how you feel, the sign of praise will go to work for you. Now, God gave the sign of praise kind of like he gave you a tongue and, and teeth to chew and digest food. Have any of you ever been accused by your mom, slow down and chew? When you were growing up, you just bit off a hamburger and went... Mm. You can get indigestion. What did they always tell you when you did that? You're not going to be able to digest your food if you do that. You need to slow down and digest your food or it's not going to do you any good. Just like your teeth are the place where you chew and break down that food and get it down on the inside so the body can take it and assimilate it, God gave the sign of praise to digest truth. Uh, you believe me on credit? We're going to use the Apostle Paul. He's going 
He's going to make it plain to you. Listen, Colossians 3 and 16. Let the word of Christ dwell. What does dwell mean? Terry, what's your address? 2932 Magnolia Trace, Safety Harbor, Florida. What, what goes on there? Tarpon Springs. What did I say? Oh, Tarpon Springs. What goes on at that address? You live there. Hello, thank you. Is that where you dwell? Now, you're right now sitting here. You're dwelling here, but where do you really dwell? You dwell there. That's where you dwell. I dwell at 2356 Varsity Drive in Clearwater. That's where I dwell. What does dwell mean? It means to live. It's where you hang your hat. It's where you live your life. And so the Bible says, let the word of Christ dwell. Live in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. I'm going to pause for just one moment. Now, that would make perfect sense if we put a period right there, just stop. said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, making sure that you teach and admonish one another. I get up and I'm teaching and I'm admonishing. And people would say, yeah, that, that's pastor's job. Because uh, we, we need to make sure that the word of Christ is dwelling in us richly. So we're listening and he's teaching and admonishing and uh, we're, we're getting the word of God on the inside. Let me tell you, that is not what's happening here. You're listening. I hope the word of Christ ends up dwelling in you richly. But it's not dwelling in you richly because you come and listen to me once a week. Teach from the Bible. That is not what causes the word of Christ to live, live, live in you. You see, the problem with the church, the reason why a church is so weak today, is they're trying to live off of sermons. They're trying to live off of going to church. Listen to what Brother Paul says. Let the word of Christ live in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. When are you learning? When you're singing back what's been preached to you. When you're praising God, what's been preached in you. When you are with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs operating under the sign of praise. Do you realize that the will of God was to teach the church through the sign of praise? The sign of praise is how the word of Christ starts dwelling in you rather than just getting stuck up on the shelf in your head. You bring groceries home, you put them up in the cupboard. And you could die of starvation in your house with cupboards full of food. Refrigerator full of food, cupboards full of food. You're not digesting anything. You're not getting energy. You're not getting anything just because you brought it home and put it up in the cupboard of your mind. When you take it out of the cupboard, prepare it and begin to cook and then eat it is when you start praising God. When you begin to praise Him with what you've learned, that's when you are digesting and the Word of Christ will begin to live in you. That's why the Jesus people had so much power. We never knew what a song was. I almost, I remember uh, <laughs> those early years, I thought it was almost uh, spiritually illegal for us to sing other th anything other than the Psalms or some scripture. 
All we sang were scripture songs. That's how I learned the Bible. We had a song for every teaching. I learned more singing and praising God than I ever learned listening to teaching. Where has that sign gone? Where is the sign of praise gone? Somebody listen to me. Hallelujah. I know I'm doing better preaching than you are shouting praise the Lord. The sign of praise sings truth into your heart. The sign of praise sings truth. You want to get the truth out of your head into your heart? Sing it! Intellectual stimulation and theological facts need to be praise-fed into our hearts in order to connect with Holy Ghost power. I know that went right over your head because that, you should have been on your feet. Hallelujah. Intellectual stimulation, theological truth, they're important. But it, those need to be praise-fed into your heart in order to connect with Holy Ghost power. That's why you know more than you actually possess. Acts chapter 16, verse 25 through 26 is a beautiful example of what I'm talking about. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. They did not have a Bible study. While they were in chains, chained to the wall after they had been beaten, they weren't sitting in that jail saying, you know that verse in 2 uh, Timothy, wait a minute, I haven't written 2 Timothy yet. Um, <laughs> they weren't sitting there discussing the Bible. The Bible says they began to sing, and I bet they were doing a little singing in tongues too, praise the Lord. And they were praising God, singing some of those songs. He set me free, yeah, he set me free. He broke the bonds of prison for me. I'm glory bound, my Jesus, to see. So glory to God, he set me free. See, they were singing the word. They were praising God. What were they doing? They were teaching their own spirit. They were connecting with the one that set them free. They weren't having a Bible study about how nice it is that we can be free, chained to this wall. They sang praises, the Bible says, at midnight. And the Bible says, and the prisoners heard them. So they weren't quiet about it either. And the Bible says, and suddenly. Now can I tell you, it may have been suddenly, but it wasn't arbitrarily. Whatever God did suddenly happened for a reason. And that reason involved what Paul and Silas were doing. It was not God being arbitrary and saying, these two little guys, I feel so bad for them. I feel so sorry for them. They've been beat up. And look, it's all because they decided to follow me. And now they're, they're chained to this wall in this Philippian jail. I, you know what? I'm just going to send an angel down to, to release their chains. And No, no. This was not arbitrary. This was Paul and Silas singing praise to God 
and God connecting. God the deliverer. God the chain breaker. God the prison breaker. Hallelujah. In their praise, nothing else could happen but the chains fell off. Hallelujah. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake. You know what kind of earthquake it was? It was what we call a praise quake. It was an earthquake caused by praise. You know how I know that? Because the Bible says, and the foundations of the prison were shaken. Number one, when you praise quake, when you praise God in the midst of your bondage, the first thing that happens is the foundations of the prison were shaken. Number two, and immediately the doors were opened. You got any closed doors in your life? Glory to God, praise quakes have been known to open closed doors. Praise the Lord. And the third thing that happened, the Bible says, and everyone's bands were loosed. So if there's some loosed bands, I know that praise can loose and release them. The sign of praise assimilates truth into spiritual energy. Just like chewing a steak helps the assimilation of food into your body. When you praise, not just when you sit and listen to messages, but when you praise God, that truth that you have heard begins to be assimilated into spiritual energy. Wouldn't you like to have some spiritual energy going on in your life? Hallelujah. It's how we experience God rather than just learning about Him. I don't know why we don't praise God more. We're, we think we look silly. We think we sound silly. Can I spare you the embarrassment and tell you and just confirm you right now? Yeah, you look silly and you sound silly. You don't look cool when you praise God. You look silly when you're doing it. So are you, you think you can get past that? You think you can get past worrying about what people think? What's more important? How bad do you need that spiritual energy? How bad do you need that overcoming anointing? How bad do you need to have those yokes broken? Bad enough to sit there paralyzed because you're worried about how you sound or feel? Or do you really need it? Do you really need to have going on in your life what you learn about in other people's lives? I'm glad for the way God moved through Paul, but I need him to... I need him to loose some chains in my life. I need him to shake some prison foundations in my life. I need some bands released in my life. And so, guess what? I can't go to church and then get mad when I leave and nobody loosed my bands. Get out in the parking lot and say, well, I guess God wasn't moving today. Yes, something wasn't moving, but it wasn't God. It was you. You're the one who wasn't moving. If you want to see those bands loosed, if you want to see something happen, you better get busy praising God. Because it's your praise that turns the knowledge of the truth into Holy Ghost power in your life. Somebody say amen. amen. See, when the sign of praise is replaced with song singing, you're all you have left. You're stuck with you. If you'd like you immersed and baptized in Jesus, you better get busy praising God. Bible says on the day of Pentecost, they were praising the Lord. 
Are you listening to me? Hallelujah. The Bible says God inhabits. When the sign of praise breaks down and becomes song singing, the church is, is left with itself. You've just got you. You came in with you, you leave with you. How'd you like it to be? How'd you like to come in and go out with Jesus? <laughs> Next time the opportunity to praise God comes, if you don't do anything else in the service, do yourself a favor and praise the Lord. Get silly, get beside yourself, make some noise, dance your dance, step your step, shout your shout, act out your acting out, do whatever you need to do, but bless the Lord, let everything that has breath magnify the name of Jesus, hallelujah, and you'll see the glory of God move. Let me close with uh, my final thought on the sign of praise, and that is, I want to talk with you just a few minutes, I'll share maybe two, three verses, about God's involvement in praise. So I've told you that the sign of praise is not a sign of the arts. It's not Christian art. It is connection. It is communion. If it's communion, let me share with you what's going on on the other side of that communion. You, on the one end, are praising. Let me tell you what God's doing on the other side. Psalm 33.1 says, Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. Well, when's the last time you saw your wife and said, My, you are comely. <laughs> I doubt that you've ever told your wife she was comely. Or your husband. Your, your, <laughs> 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 or you probably never had someone say, My, my, you are so comely. We don't use that word anymore, but in the original Hebrew text, that word literally means not just, it doesn't mean to be beautiful or to be lovely. What it literally means is to be at home with. You know that if you come to my house and I come out in my PJs, you're one of the family. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying to you? You can just consider yourself highly honored. If you come to my house, I said, there's the refrigerator, there's the utensils, go help yourself. And I'm there with my funny, fluffy slippers on, not caring, hallelujah, what anyone thinks. Consider yourself to be right at home. The Bible says praise is being at home with God. Praise is comely for the upright. And so it literally means to build a house, to edify, to build up an edifice, to build a home. So literally, God is saying, praise builds a house for you and God to meet in. I don't want to hear people leave church and go, well, it was a bummer today. I didn't meet with God. I don't, it's, uh, the last time God was here, I don't know what's going on. But, uh, well, somebody is, if someone would praise Him, amen. at least they'll be at home with God. Can you say Amen. amen. The next one is Psalm 34 and verse 3. Oh, magnify. Everyone say magnify. magnify. Have any of you ever said, Lord, I magnify you? Yes. Have anyone said it? Let me see your hands if you've ever said, Lord, I magnify you. Have you ever said it? Yes. Lord, I magnify you. Yes. Well, you know what it means. 
No, you just heard somebody else say it. Okay, I magnify you, Lord. All right, well, Lord, I magnify you too. I don't want them being the only ones magnifying you. Well, I'm going to magnify the Lord. I magnify you, Lord. And uh, you might think that magnify means like a magnifying glass or something. I'm going to see God up close or whatever. But in the original Hebrew, it has a very unique meaning. It means like, like a braided rope. It means to twist together to make large. Twist together and make large. Woo! Look at that beautiful illustration. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Notice the phrase, with me. Magnify the Lord with me. In other words, me and Jesus are being braided together into something bigger. You ever felt small by your trials? You ever felt reduced by people's opinions? You ever come out of a situation and you thought, I don't matter, nobody sees me. I'm invisible. I'm so, I'm minuscule. I'm a speck of dust. A little wind could blow me away. You need to be large. You need to become bigger. How do you become bigger? Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. It means Praise blends you and God into largeness. Then you don't just praise the rock, you are part of the rock. Hallelujah. Praise makes you part of the rock. Got to move on. Psalm 48 verse 1, Great is the Lord, and I bet you've said this one, Greatly to be praised. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Well, greatly is another one of those really cool Hebrew words. And it's, uh, it means a poker. I used, to make, I used to have a coal furnace in my home up north. And boy, I tell you, if you ever had a coal furnace, you, you end up living for that furnace. You live for it. First thing in the morning, you're tended to it. Last thing at night, you're the first one up in the morning. You're the last one in bed at night because you are a slave to that furnace. But I, you know what a poker is because you end up using that poker to stir those coals or if it's a wood fire, those embers. And you have to take a little bitty, moderately warm glow covered over with ash and you need to turn that into a raging, vehement fire. And so the word greatly, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, means a poker that turns coals to make a fire intense. It means to intensify a fire with the use of a poker that turns the coals. Now listen to what Psalm 48, 1, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Aren't you sick and tired of saying and acknowledging that Jesus is great and not being able to participate in any of that greatness for yourself? Now, I'm not talking about stealing God's glory. I'm talking about the glory He wants to give you. The glory of His love. The glory of His benefit. The glory of the, of the largeness of our God. He wants... I'll just put it to you like this. Praise stirs the fire of God in your heart. I know that my God is a consuming fire, but I want Him to consume me. So let's get busy praising the Lord. Let me finish this and just say that all of these statements that I've just read you, these verses about praise and the sign of praise, they're not about God getting people to sing about His glory and power. If you think 
that all of these psalms and everything the Bible says about praising the Lord is because God wants a little choir of singers to sing about His glory and sing about His praise, then you don't know what angels are. He already got things that do that. No, the sign of praise is not about God getting you to sing or express an art form about His glory and His power. It's about God igniting that glory and power in you. Hallelujah. That's what praise is. It is God igniting power and glory in you that live under the sign of praise. Alright, close your Bible. Let's stand together. Whew, I feel better. Hallelujah. I got it out. <laughs> the Lord is good. Hallelujah. I, I want to tell you the things that you heard today. You are a, a church that just lives under the sign of liberality, and it's awesome. Sign of praise. I'll tell you, if you get a hold of that and do it, mm, watch out. Amen. Just watch God move. Watch God move. Hallelujah. Could we pray a, a prayer of, call it dedication, commitment, whatever you want, a decision. I'll just use my own vernacular. Can we pray a decision? If you would like to, if you know, you're not there yet, that's fine, I understand. But I think after hearing a word like this that you might want to make a decision to be a praiser of God, not just a singer of praise, quote, songs. If you've been a singer of praise songs, but you want to really praise the Lord more in your life, I know the Lord would be very happy with that. <laughs> so... Let us, uh, let's, let's make an altar where we're at, and let me see the show of hands of those who are here this morning who would say, I want to praise the Lord and enter into praise more than I have been in my life. Awesome. Hallelujah. I'd like to pray for you. Just keep that hand lifted up to the Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just want to thank you that you have filled us with your love and your presence. And you invite us to receive, Lord, from that endless supply called grace. Great grace is upon us. And I thank you for the wonderful spirit of liberality that is upon us. And the generosity, Lord, that it has produced in us. And now, Father God, we could do a lot to help ourselves by becoming greater praisers of the Lord. So, Father, we make a decision. I'm going to praise the Lord. His praise shall continually be in my mouth, so much so that the humble will hear and be glad. Those that are in the Philippian jail chained up along with me, they're going to hear me praising God. I'm not ashamed to praise you, and I'm going to be bold, and I'm going to praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord, because I know great victories and overflowing abundance awaits 
as I enter into praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah.